Whoa, it's been a while since I've taken a mental dump and my brain tummy is full. Man, this is fun. I'm at my new table. Once again, shout out to Emmett Bowen with Twin Pines Woodcraft. Uh, this thing is awesome. Ah, uh, let's go here. I want to explain where my head is at concerning the last few Rusty on the Road podcasts that I've released. I somewhat explained it in the first one I released. I just wanted to reiterate that my intention with future episodes like those will be unedited and fairly short in comparison to the typical episodes I've released, and like this one. I've actually sent some of these little highway thoughts and rants to my BFF Brent in the past, and I figured perhaps others might be interested in something like this as well. So check those out when I get them out, and forgive the sound quality. I try my best to at least edit out the road noise, but I can only do so much. Speaking of sounds, I hope this one sounds a little bit better than the last one that I did using this microphone when it was aimed in the wrong direction and I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. Anywho, I'm going to section this one out a little differently than I have before, or maybe it's the same, I don't really know, but this time I have names or titles for specific stories and events and such. All right, that's nice. The first section is Complaint Center. I went to a supply house recently that I haven't been to in a while and generally don't have the greatest experience with there at. Several people working there have seemingly worked there my 20 plus year plumbing career and their attitudes have consistently been the same. That general attitude is I have more important things to do rather than to ask you what you need or make sure that you have been helped. I don't think I've seen any of them actually smile except for maybe when one person behind the counter says something to another person behind the counter, but it's overall pretty uninviting. I haven't been to this place in a while, but they have a sign posted in a couple of places that say they still aren't letting people inside the waiting area and have three different phone numbers for three different people listed to call when you are there to pick up something. They also have a large bay door open and you can see everyone's orders being prepared. Someone walked up before I did and he was asked if he was there to pick up something, which he said yes, and they directed him to go ahead and walk inside the waiting area. I decided to hang back and play by the rules of the notice on the door, and I called one of the three numbers to let them know I was outside ready to pick up a will call order. No answer. I called the second number, no answer. Third number, yep, you guessed it, no answer. At this point, I feel a little bit of annoyance starting to creep in. I walk over to the open bay door where I see three people preparing orders, two of which I've always seen behind the counter before and all of them looked up at me at separate times within a minute window and none of them asked me if I was picking up anything. The annoyance level has now risen a few notches. I finally speak up and ask, 
Do I let you guys know in here that I'm picking up a will call or should I just go inside? One guy doesn't even look up while the others look at each other, then shrug and mumble. Anyway, I stand there for about 10 seconds and say, I tried to follow protocol and called all three numbers on the sign outside, but no one answered. Once again, no one even looks up or says anything for a solid 10 seconds more. Somebody else finally walks out of the waiting room area and says, are you picking up something? This dude was one of the guys that I'm sure has been there for as long as I can remember, but I'd say he's definitely the more friendly one of the bunch. And when I say more friendly, I mean he actually makes eye contact and doesn't look like I'm completely wasting his time or anything. I hate being in situations like that because I either seem really needy or I seem like an asshole. I don't want to just stand there and waste my fucking time waiting for someone to speak up or say something. But at the same time, if I'm the one that has to speak up, it's generally because no one has acknowledged me there and I'm losing my patience. So at that point, I probably end up coming off like an asshole. I'm glad I don't go to this place very often, but for anyone out there in customer service or working at similar places dealing with similar situations, consider those who purchase from you and the kind of impression that you leave with your professionalism and attitude. The next section is respect. There's an old gas station in this little town that I've been working in for the past several months, and there's something I've observed a few times when shopping there. There's an older lady that works there and a couple of younger ladies. I have no idea if they're related or not, but I believe the owner is one of the younger ladies. The older lady is super nice and reminds me of my grandma. Now that you kind of have a picture of the younger owner and the older lady that resembles a sweet old grandma, this is what I observed. If the grandma asks a question or is perhaps just confirming something, the owner lady immediately talks loudly and aggressively while explaining whatever is being talked about or asked about. It's similar to the way a young kid acts up in a store or something and the parent verbally scolds them and makes you feel awkward for observing it. It's similar to that. In this situation here with the grandma, to me it comes off extremely condescending and I just get the impression that the younger lady does not have control over herself and I guess the thought of how she's representing her establishment and herself. But I mean, who knows? Maybe she really doesn't care, or maybe she is a little clueless about that. I mean, it certainly makes me feel some sort of way for the grandma in this situation because she just seems so helpless. It's not my place, and I have no idea what their relationship is like otherwise, but it still makes me feel like stepping in and just asking the younger lady why she honestly feels the need to talk that way. If the old lady is asking something like, are the such and such things over here and the younger lady would say i told you they're over on the other side i mean people talk like that to people that they're comfortable with i guess or have been around or are just kind of fed up with <laughs> you know uh, i'm sure all their lives all our lives and that's what makes me feel like it's probably a family thing and she's just Tired of her mom asking dumb questions or, you know, something like that. Who knows? 
And, you know, if I did say something, I'm sure I'd get told to mind my own damn business in just the same manner that the grandma gets told what to do. But what if I sparked a tiny change in that moment and it led to some significant change down the road? I mean, probably not likely, but what if it did? I'm not going to try. <laughs> I'm sure it's just an old country family just living their life. It's just me being socially curious. I don't understand how some neighbors will just stare at you when you drive by. And whenever you wave or clearly acknowledge them, they just look down or even look away in a shitty manner. Has that happened to you? Does that happen to you? There's a guy that lives close in my neighborhood and has a really nice yard and garden. But every time that I've ever seen him outside and I've waved or nodded or acknowledged him in any way, he just looks away or just stares at me without moving an inch. And it's the most awkward thing ever. I'm not asking to be best friends or to get an overly enthusiastic wave or salute or anything. Just maybe not look at me like I'm a monster that you want to pretend isn't really there. Maybe the dude has had an awful life and <laughs> was robbed or wronged in the past by someone who looks just like me. I, I, who knows? All I know is that it's super weird. I just want to compliment the dude on his yard and his garden. And I can't even make eye contact. I'm sure I've talked about this before on here, but holding the door open for someone in a gas station or a store. How can you just walk out of somewhere while looking at your phone and not even remotely acknowledging that someone held the door open for you, just for you to zombily walk through? This happened two or three times this past week, and it just blows my mind how people can be that oblivious to their surroundings or that rude. Let's be clear. I don't do it for thank yous or rewards of any kind other than maybe helping someone smile or making just a few seconds of their life a little bit easier. I mean, I do similar things at work with people in other trades. I'll be talking to one of my guys about how we're going to do something or whatever and notice an electrician cutting a long piece of pipe or something behind me. So I'll turn around and hold the end of the pipe so it doesn't fall to the floor and the electrician can use both hands to better focus the cut he's making. And I wouldn't do that for a reward or thank you. I'm doing that because I'm right next to the person and I'm just trying to make just a little part of someone's day that much easier. Similarly, if I'm walking down the hallway and someone drops something from a ladder, I'll ask if they needed that. Why? Because I've been up a ladder in a tight spot and have dropped something and there was no one there to pick it up and I was extremely annoyed to have to go all the way back down from this tight spot, put everything down just to get this one little thing and come right back up. So if I can save someone from feeling that one day when they don't have to, I mean, it feels good for me, but I don't really think about it. I just do stuff like that. If you've had someone do something for you like that, just for no reason at all, I would hope that you'd appreciate that and recognize that you are grateful for something like that. And also realize that you have the same power to give someone else that positive feeling. 
it's just so weird being in that situation at the gas station. I'm on the outside of the store looking in and I see someone walking towards the door with a bag and their phone in their hands. So my thought is I'm going to jump two steps quicker to get the door, hold it open, take three steps backward and pause what I'm doing and let this person out. And they just keep looking at their phone. They walk out and they walk away as though I never existed. <laughs> and I didn't get mad and say, you're welcome or, you're, you know, whatever, making a scene about it because I'm not doing it for the reward. It just blows my mind. <laughs> Someone could just walk through like that and not even acknowledge, not even pretend that there's a world outside of what they're staring at. It's so weird. But at the same time, what if they were getting broken up with <laughs> through text and they were trying to process that? <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows what the hell they had going on in their brain and on their phone, but it's still crazy. All right. The next subject is something I don't normally talk about, but there's just one little thing I wanted to share. The subject is religion. I listened to a podcast recently about some recent bill about physician assisted suicide, and it ended up going into the religious aspect of it. And just before that, they were talking about the Vatican and Catholics not being able to bless same sex unions. It was later mentioned in the episode that Christians must be the ones to protect life from the moment of conception up until natural death or whatever, however it was phrased. My first reaction to that was that Christians can protect life, just how it was mentioned, but not if they're gay or trans or something different, right? This same podcast channel mentioned in another episode about Christians not being able to recognize any gender or sex other than a man and a woman as it is written in scripture. As I said, I don't get into religion and such on here, and I don't really intend to, but when I hear things like that being put out to likely a large audience, to me it sounds like brainwashing and cult-like behavior. It isn't very loving and accepting of someone to judge another someone because of some ancient scripture that has been written and translated and written and translated and written and translated and is similar to other scriptures from other parts of the world that were written and translated and written and translated and so on and so forth. I don't know anything more than what I truly know to be true because I am limited to what my human brain can process and understand. I've heard religious people mention in the past that non-believers need to be more open-minded, while in the same breath telling you that there is only one book, one word, and one way. Which doesn't really sound open-minded to me. And I know not all Christians think and believe the exact same things in the exact same ways, but when hearing stuff like this, from what I would think to be a fairly widely heard broadcast, it just makes me feel weird. Anyway, let's move on from that. Okay, next is quality control. We've had some work done to the house for the past handful of months, 
And the most recent work has been the fence and a motorized gate. As of now, it is finally all done, but it took a solid couple of months to get it all finished. Scheduling, weather, leveling the driveway with the new strip of concrete, the ice storm, the defective strip of concrete that was chipped back up and re-poured, scheduling weather, damages, repairs, scheduling, damages, repairs, etc. The general contractor was good to work with, but the fence crew was kind of a nightmare. I'm certainly not going to put anyone on blast or anything. I'm just wanting to focus on the situation itself, which was poor communication and poor quality control. If you specialize in fences, I would like to believe that you would need no direction on how to make a fence look finished. We had to ask for boards to be cut straight to not look like an alligator chewed off the ends of the planks. We had to wrap things with plastic so they didn't get stain everywhere, which they got stain everywhere. And after everything was stained, they came to change some boards and add some boards and add trim and add stain to those new pieces and new trim. And the new stain didn't match the original stain because it was applied differently and it appeared darker. As the unfinished project sat there for a few weeks through a few different rainstorms, I had to cover the metal posts in spots so the posts did not collect rainwater and rust out. These guys ended up cutting some tree limbs that they were not supposed to cut, and we previously talked about them not being cut, and they were cut, and it was real bad. So it was just things like that, and other little things, throwing trash in the recycling bin and, you know, just makes me scratch my head. So I mention all this here to vent, but also in case someone out there listening is working around people like this, or maybe even actually doing things like this and perhaps haven't truly seen it from the customer's perspective, they're essentially paying for a product and likely expect said product to be relatively flawless. The same way you would shop for a car or a house. You don't want to see flaws. You don't want to see mistakes. You just want to get what you're paying for. Showing others that you respect them and want them to be happy with what they're getting isn't going to hurt you at all. It's going to help you. Their friends will ask, hey, who did that work for you? and they'll happily recommend you. Just like someone saying, hey, where'd you get that car? Oh, dude, down the street. Oh, nice. I'll go down the street. I don't know why they're talking like that, but it's cool. You could do a good job for someone and they might call you back for the next 20 years to do work for them or work with them. You can almost guarantee that going down the more mindful path of mental and physical quality control of your work and attitude will take you to much better places than no quality control and just making it by. Especially if you're in a situation where all you can do is just make it by because you absolutely need a job and there absolutely is no way to move up. You're just stuck moving by. Well, damn it, that sucks. But you know what? If you can do more, do more.
If you can do better, do better. You and the world around you will be forever grateful. You never know who's watching. You never know who's next to you. Someone that you know within the organization that you're with, they might be wanting to start their own business. They might be wanting to leave and go to another company. And maybe they recognize what a hard worker you are out of every other dingus there. And they come to you behind the scenes and say, hey, I'm starting my own thing. You want to come work with me? Or, hey, I'm going to this company and I just want to let you know because I know how hard you work and you'd probably make a lot more money over here. And I think overall you would be a happier person by just going above and beyond if you can. If it's creating a problem for you, then yeah, of course. You're just going to make it by and that's what you have to do for now. Just remember, everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. Next, memory and reincarnation. When listening to an episode of the Smartless podcast recently with a doctor talking about longevity and health, he mentioned the breakthroughs they're making with reversing aging in genes to where older mice are able to get their vision back. And there's hope to be able to achieve that very same thing in human form very soon. He talked about how well this could potentially be applied to the brain and even memory. He mentioned that they don't know if it will be able to fix memory in a way and rediscover old memories or if it just makes your memory or memorizing capability better at that point in your life than it normally would be at your age. Then Will Arnett made a joke about not thinking this process would be able to fix his quote-unquote old soul and that kind of made me think about the possibility of reincarnation and something like this reverse aging process, maybe even awakening something in the brain that would lead you to believe you are recalling memories from a past life. Then I was thinking of how scary that could be if you were to start remembering things from a past life and maybe it wasn't all that great or maybe it was an extreme opposition of how your life is today. And what if it caused some sort of psychosis or mental malfunction? It would be a miracle that you gained memories back and were maybe even able to fix some things. What about memories of a bad or painful previous life that leaves this life now in constant agony? That's scary. This ties in a little with a movie I saw recently called Black Box. It's a psychological thriller type movie that involves memory and consciousness. If you find those sorts of things interesting, you will probably like the film. Check it out. I have this next section called Time. I sometimes wonder about the exponential growth of our collective knowledge and technology in the past 70 years or so. Imagine societies of the 1500s and 1600s and 1700s and 1800s. How much changed in one generation of those times compared to someone born in 1950 who has seen us go from black and white television basically to small computers with amazing viewing capabilities we have in our pockets today. What will the world be like in another 70 years? I'll surely be long gone, or will I?
Perhaps I'll still be around in one way or another. Check out that movie Black Box and maybe you'll see what I mean. Seeing things through an evolutionary lens is super interesting to me. Plus, totally logical in my opinion. To ignore the details of our core societal and humanitarian evolution is to be largely close-minded, whether unintentional or otherwise. The next section is called trauma. Alright, trauma can be very personal. There are all sorts of different traumas people can experience. Honestly, I only have one thing in my life that I can truly label as traumatic enough to be a reoccurring thought in my head at least a couple of times a week. I'm about to describe it, so this is your warning. It involves an injured animal. I don't recall how old I was but we had a fairly aggressive dachshund when I was younger. This dog would always bark like a maniac when people came over, and I'm pretty certain she bit a few family members that came over. The way I remember this specific incident was someone coming over, and I rush to go pick the dog up and take her to her crate, as I've done countless times before. But this specific time was different because when I picked her up, she yelped really loud and continued to yelp and squirm to the point where I set her back down on the ground because it scared me. That's when I not only got to hear her squeal more, but I see her walking around in circles with her front legs while dragging her back legs behind her. I had no idea what just happened, but I remember as clear as day, my mom is saying, what did you do? <laughs> Which I can't blame her because she didn't see me pick the dog up and I'm sure it scared the hell out of her just the same. Regardless of anything that I can look back on now and justify or explain, those moments are forever scarred into my brain. We ended up having to put her down the next day because she had a slipped disc and was basically paralyzed from the mid back and down. So she had no control over her bodily functions and she was in pain and she was fairly old. The thought of this has stuck with me all these years and my brain automatically goes to it as soon as I am faced with the task or option of picking up a dog. It happens fairly often. I don't necessarily think I'm going to break every dog that I pick up, but I have a very deep-seated fear that it will happen again one day and it makes me feel some kind of way when I'm about to pick up a dog. It really makes me wonder what other kind of weird and personal situations people have dealt with in the past that they still think about once or twice a week. That's one of those situations where someone may be afraid to do something or flat out refuse to do something because of what they've experienced, which was so traumatic and scarring that they just never want the chance to experience it again. Maybe that same person is the grocery store employee that you had a bad experience with last week. Maybe they were going through something and it was super hard for them to concentrate on the task at hand. 
maybe they were robbed at gunpoint at a previous job and just lost their mind thinking about it when they saw a customer reach into their pocket for something, just like that one guy that robbed them before. You never know what someone is going through or what they have gone through. And in most cases, you never will. All right, we'll see how this goes. The next section I never sat down with and fine-tuned, but I'll do my best. This one is Cancel Culture and Disappearing History. I talked before about leaving your legacy and contemplating how long things might be used and talked about or even listened to many, many, many years down the road. But this also connects to the present while we are dealing with statues being removed, government buildings being renamed, and basically rewriting or even seemingly erasing parts of history. Someone I worked with sent me a podcast to check out a while back, Christian podcast. I referred to it earlier in this episode. And one episode I heard, this guy was pointing out the irony in renaming historical buildings and condemning historical figures by using phrases that those historical figures actually came up with like using it against them, but not knowing that they actually came up with it, calling someone a colonizer while living in an area that's colonized. The perspective of this episode, I guess podcast, is coming from the direction of opposition for canceling and removing names or changing names or whatever, or at least that's the impression that I get. And I can understand because a lot of the situations to me seem like it's just because of one thing or one phrase or one sentence that describes one thing about the historical figure while seemingly ignoring anything else good that came from the person. Slave ownership was the biggest one. Colonizers, another. And just basically anything having to do with the approval or legislation of having slaves or anything of the sort seemed to be the leading cause of cancellation. You could certainly argue all day long about the morals around all of this and how there really isn't much of a defense at all for slave owners and slave ownership other than it simply being a completely different time and environment. 150 years from now, are we going to look back on people who helped our society and our country and statesmen and stateswomen and statespersons and judge them for eating or allowing the production of animal products? I feel like this is definitely something that's going to be judged and looked down upon because of how animals were treated, how horrific the conditions were, and how it led to the likelihood of parasites and diseases and whatever else. I can somewhat form an analogy here comparing these kinds of situations to creating art, like music for example. I can write a song in a couple of days or weeks or whatever it takes and then revisit it after a few months or a few weeks or even a couple of days. and. I can almost guarantee you that I'll have something to critique or regret or want to change or maybe even be embarrassed about. We are ever evolving and no one is perfect. And it's really hard to justify some of these instances where you basically discredit someone for all the good and all the things that they've contributed to mankind and where we are as a society today and condemn them for maybe one thing that they did or had a hand in or it something that appears terribly wrong from the perspective of today, so many years later. I can't say that I'm necessarily able to take the position on changing names of schools and government buildings 
based on a few bad things because it seems like you would have to completely ignore the good things. The real question is, does this help us as a society? Does this help educate our children? By changing the name of a school, does that also mean we're going to amend history books and teach a more blunt and neutral position? Or are we going to just erase parts of history and approach the teaching of history by condemning people? Some people who actually played very important roles in the past? What's extremely unfortunate here is the inability for most people to have opinions about this or be able to have conversations about this that don't lump you into a specific category. If I'm opposed to school names being changed, I'm sure someone will call me a racist or say that I'm defending racists or something like that, which is extremely naive and ultimately accusatory. As far as humans go, it's extremely rare, if not impossible, that you're going to find a perfect one. All of the people who are virtue signaling their efforts to expose terrible people in history and all that business probably haven't led the best life just the same. Owning slaves surely isn't the same as egging someone's house or vehicle or anything like that. I'm just pointing out that changing the names of some of these places isn't going to fix history, and simply having the name on a building isn't the same as singing a song about that person or to that person or praising that person as though they were a hero or a saint or anything like that. Whatever name it ends up being changed to, I'd be willing to bet that those people had shitty times and made shitty decisions just like anyone else. Again, I understand how hard it is to compare slavery to anything less than murder or rape these days, but we are talking about things that happened hundreds of years ago in a completely different time with completely different people born in a completely different environment, and perhaps instead of trying to change names or find something new to hold high, maybe it's best to just name schools after the cities that they reside in and focus more on what and how we are teaching our children. Go ahead and rewrite some history books about Roosevelt and Lincoln and throw in there that we used to hold these people high, but after analyzing their contributions throughout their lives, we have found ourselves adjusting our focus away from those figures from our past and strive to keep our attention on educating the true and accurate history from an unbiased perspective. That's the problem with most things today anyway. There's nowhere that we can all collectively go to to get accurate information without some sort of bias involved and an honest way to fact check something. Have you ever argued with someone for a position that you held about something because you absolutely knew in your head that it was correct, but you found out that you were completely wrong? It's a really awful feeling, which is a feeling that I've felt a couple of times in my life. And it's another reason why I rarely hold concrete positions to things unless I've already been in debates with people and have done a ton of research and just feel confident in my position instead of relying on the word of three other people that feel the same way about the same thing, which is what so many people seem to do. You get awful groupthink and mob mentality all locked into an echo chamber, some of which make decisions for us as a whole. Are we improving things by removing names from buildings and removing statues? Are we harming things by leaving those names in place? If you have a firm answer to either of those questions, how long did it take you to reach that answer? How many people have you talked to about this? How many students have you talked to about this? How much history have you looked back on recently to go over the good and the bad for some of these people? How did you used to feel about it when you were in school? How did you feel about it once you graduated? 
Have you asked some of your best friends how they feel about it? If you don't really have a solid answer to all of those questions, I find it hard for you to have a solid answer to the initial questions that I asked. Are we hurting things by leaving these up? And are we improving things by taking them down? How? Why? Once again, I'm not taking a position. I'm asking a question. Questions. In the same realm, what about removing old movies and TV show episodes, and cartoons and books and grocery store items and so on? It's basically erasing history, is it not? I understand if the intent is to make sure certain things don't carry on into the future since our way of thinking and overall societal structure isn't the same as it was many years ago. But basically pretending like something never existed doesn't seem to be the logical answer. Are people actually reading those old Dr. Seuss books anywhere to where it's hurting someone's feelings? If so, how many cases of hurt feelings were reported for this? How many is enough in order to justify removing something from society? I'm not defending those specific books because I'm not familiar with them. I don't know what they say. I'm just, once again, just asking questions. I'm just making a point of inquisition about the level of offense towards people and how much offense has to be taken or seen or heard in order to actually cancel something. Were the Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben brands really getting complaints all day from people of color being offended by the name and use of black people on their product? Or was it mostly woke white people virtue signaling their concern? Or maybe just one woke white person with a plentiful Twitter following? I'd really love to know. If they showed these people in chains or insinuated that they were slaves of some sort, it would, it would obviously be different. I guess another way to flip this around to the negative would be that these brands are purely white-owned and are capitalizing their brands by using black people's faces and personas to sell their product. That's another level of nuance as well. I don't know the history or details there. So, Anyway, I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from and maybe have wondered the same. Or maybe you just think I'm a piece of shit racist that doesn't understand anything. I think Dave Rubin pointed it out very well on a podcast a few weeks ago by saying something like, you know, they're taking all of the colored faces and names off of the products in the grocery store because of racism, yet now you'll walk into the grocery store and just see white people on things. Who are we hurting by having diverse names and products? I am personally okay with completely ignoring skin color for everyone and just being human. Diversity is wonderful and can be celebrated and observed in a much more neutral and intellectual way. Since we're eliminating color and culture from things everywhere, the diversity seems more and more lost. There seems to be more and more diversity now in gender instead, which is a whole other ballgame that I know nothing about. But some of it confuses me, truly, at a biological level, and maybe even a mental level, but I won't get into that here. I'm hoping to get some clarity on some of that stuff soon. As I mentioned before, I have a trans woman that was interested in being on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to having a discussion about some of that stuff that I know nothing about. I still definitely intend to do a lot more research and prepare some thought out questions for that conversation. And once again, if you have any questions or things you would like to hear talked about or me asked about or anything like that, feel free to send them my way. All right. That was a whole bunch of junk that I just pooped out. So I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to go eat some food now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, folks. Bye-bye.
Rusty's escape pod. Rusty's escape pod.